everyone, this is Nate Scott, and this is the For the Win podcast, your home to everything that's buzzing in the world of sports. My guest today is my friend, fellow soccer writer and lover. He's the editor of the soccer section over at SB Nation. It's Kevin McCauley. Hey, man. Hey, how are you doing? I am wonderful. It's a new day in American soccer. It's we're 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 in the in the brave new world. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't want to say happy because you know somebody lost their job, and I'm sure some of the some of the players and a lot of the fans are not particularly thrilled with Jurgen Klinsmann uh, departing as U.S. Men's National Team manager. But uh, I think it's something that's probably been a long time coming. Yeah. That is something. So quickly, I'm, everyone knows this already, but uh, Jurgen Klinsmann was fired on Monday as the head coach and technical director of U.S. Soccer, and it looks an awful lot like Bruce Arena will be stepping in. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not shedding too many tears. He's got a lot of money, and I'm glad you said it, it's been a long time coming because I have seen this narrative thrown out around there a little bit that. He lost two games in a row, and he got fired, and as if this was some wild overreaction from Sunil Gulati in U.S. soccer, and the odds are, I, you know, I'm surprised it took this long. No, it's definitely a straw that broke the camel's back situation, yep. because in at least in Gulati's eyes, this is a guy who he gave a lot of extra chances to. Um, I know a lot of people won't see it that way, but that's certainly how... Sunil Gulati sees it. I think it was very surprising that he wasn't fired after the 2015 Gold Cup, which is, I think, the last time we had a conversation about the U.S. Men's National Team on a podcast was yep. after that whole debacle. Um, and the story that came out today was Doug McIntyre at ESPN uh, got a little, little, little dirt from U.S. Soccer or somebody inside U.S. Soccer that uh, after that competition – Klinsman told Sunil Gulati that he thought it was fixed. That yes. was his excuse for losing to Jamaica and Panama, that he thought that CONCACAF had fixed the tournament so that they could set up the big money match at the Rose Bowl against Mexico, which is <laughs> absolutely ridiculous. I love it. I'm, I'm all would, in. Yeah. I'm all in not on crazy conspiracy would, theories. But I run I a mean, it's certainly not, it's not... It's not necessarily ridiculous for someone to assume that CONCACAF did something crooked and illegal to make money because obviously it's been more or less proven that they've done that on multiple occasions. Very true. But in, in this particular instance, uh, just calling the integrity of, of actual games into question is certainly, is certainly new. And uh, if you watch those games, it's very clear that the problem was that the U.S. men's national team was bad at kicking the ball towards the goal and bad at preventing the other team from kicking the ball towards the goal. 100%. That that piece, I encourage everyone to read it. Uh, it's up on ESPN FC. And totally right. I mean, it. the whole thing is... Um, I, I'm not surprised it took this long. Especially, you know, Klinsman has had some bad results. There have been some tactical things. The... The weird relationship with MLS, which never quite got fixed, you know, this is sort of a pet theory of mine, and I don't know how much you subscribe to it, and I'm, I'm curious what you think of it, is that Klinsman never really figured out how to square the circle with his dual roles as technical director and head coach of the national team, being that he'd get in the way of it himself with trying to promote this grand vision for the future of U.S. soccer and, and describing all these problems and then being left with this national team or a national pool of players 
who resented him and, and never really understood exactly what he was talking about. Yeah, I I compared him earlier today to uh, disgraced Enron CEO Jeff Skilling, which is maybe a bit unfair because <laughs> Jeff Skilling is a convicted criminal and yes. Jurgen Klinsmann is just somebody who's very bad at his job. But the the similarity is that they're both people who had these these big grand ideas and they thought that was the important thing that like mm-hmm. I'm the guy who has the has the big idea the, the the big smart idea and it's everyone else's job to figure out how to make that idea work but I'm still the guy who deserves credit for that yeah and and and, and I will say he was that's like well, that's really the, the the big problem with Klinsman at the at the end of the day is that he he had all these great ideas but he had no idea how to implement them he just kind of expected the pieces to fall into place. Like, hey, I said what we need to be doing. Now everybody else do it. And then also give me credit for coming up with the idea. And um, that... So that was a big problem. And then what you said about the, him never really getting the, the two roles at the same time, that he, he couldn't handle both being head coach and technical director, we kind of learned after the Gold Cup that uh, Jay Berhalter had been given sort of the day-to-day technical director responsibilities, and Clemson wasn't exactly doing that job anymore. Yeah. So uh, I think that's probably exactly right. Yeah, you know, it, it and it is, I, I think something we'll look back on Klinsman is he was someone who was able to diagnose the problems but didn't really offer any solutions. I mean, what he was saying was all right. You know, it was all correct. Um, you know, the... the the national Absolutely. team national team youth players weren't pushing themselves hard enough the the college system in this country was not adequately developing players um the youth players coming up were were focusing too much on physicality and not enough on technique these are all things that were correct and you know the the united states men's national team played into their strengths too often never really tried to push themselves to be anything more than what they knew they could be but then he didn't really do anything. He just sort of would talk about all these problems. And then when it came to actually implementing anything, nothing nothing ever really happened. It, would just, it was just sort of like he, he told us all the stuff. And then it was like, all right, well, what, what, can, what can the Americans do? And I don't know. I mean, what, he went out and got a bunch of uh, dual national players, which, you know, papered over a fix, I guess, with the national team. But I don't know what what that really changed in the long run. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that though, because even if Klinsman not I, only sorry. had the, the perfect, I not only, not, even if Klinsman had both the perfect idea and the right idea with how to implement his ideas um, and, you know, hired the right, hired the right people to run the development Academy system and the youth national teams and convince, you know, Sunil Galati and the U S soccer board to invest more in the DA system and, you know, really, really beefed it up, really beefed up youth scouting and, you know, did great things to improve the youth pipeline in the United States, that would take minimum five years, probably more like 10 to bear fruit. Yes. So you have to come up with a a short-term fix until that starts bearing fruit. And I think that recruiting guys like Fabian Johnson, John Brooks, uh, Julian Green, and the, you know, the dozen other dual nationals that he recruited to the team, it was a really good short-term fix. I don't think that's something that uh, he or anybody else should be criticized for because uh, even though it's papering over the cracks, uh, the, the cracks were there to be papered over. Yes. And actually fixing them was going to take a long time. So uh, I, I don't think it was an either-or situation. You can, 
you can call in the guys for the quick fix while trying to address the root of the problem at the exact same time. He just forgot the second part. He just, exactly. Um, what do you make of this rift between Klinsman and MLS? Has it been overstated? I've talked to a few MLS players before and since sort of off the record, I guess. I don't, I don't really feel like I, it was clear. I wasn't really asking them on the record. Um, but it seemed like relief, and I don't know if that's more just kind of ha-ha-ha, like we're joking with Benny Failheiber, or if that was a real serious issue between MLS and Klinsman. Was that played up, or was that a, a serious kind of contentious point? I think it was played up a little bit, um, especially in the case of Benny Failheiber. Like, I don't think his exclusion of Benny Failheiber from the men's national team had anything to do with Failheiber being an MLS guy and not mm-hmm. going back to challenge himself abroad after he, you know, he struggled the first time around. Like, that's not the reason that Benny Failheiber was not called up anymore was not because he was an MLS player. Clemson called up a lot of MLS players, even ones that he heavily criticized for staying in MLS. He he called those players up. Yep. So I, I think it's something that, that definitely is overblown because, uh, especially because he was somebody who was brought in to kind of raise these questions about, about the system. Like, Sunil Galati knew when he hired Jurgen Klinsmann that he was going to complain about MLS and its roster rules and its short season and uh, its lack of investment in its academies. Like, you know, this is all stuff that we knew. And ultimately, it did not prevent Klinsmann from calling in the MLS players that he thought were a good fit for the team. So, yeah, I'd say that was, you know, pretty overblown. What I will say, though, is that for, you know, perhaps a consequence that maybe Klinsman made his peace with or perhaps didn't fully comprehend ahead of time was that by making the statements he did against MLS, against the, the problems with the domestic league, against American soccer kind of culture in general, is that when those iffy situations would pop up, that the MLS players would just completely assume that he was biased against them. And, you know, we'll never know what happened with Darlington Nagby. There's been, you know, we've heard both sides with the U.S. soccer or Klinsman's camp basically saying that he wanted to be with his family and kind of refused the call-up. Grant Wall reported there might have been something else going on with Nagby wanting more playing time and not understanding why he didn't get a chance. It's hard for me to believe that this sort of pre-existing idea that Klinsman was anti-MLS didn't factor into that in some way or am i just crazy am i am i putting on my tinfoil klinsman hat well he you know he played josie elzador every time he was fit yep he never dropped michael bradley even when he was in poor form so you know he didn't he never dropped clint dempsey when he was in poor form or when he came when he came back to mls Uh, you know it was pretty clear that if if there was a guy that was his guy it didn't matter if he was in mls or europe is that was that a bigger problem for you that he had his guys? Yeah, I think that was definitely a bigger problem for me. That there were there's there were guys who seemed to be undroppable, even if they uh, you know they weren't playing well, and there were there were other guys who it didn't matter how good their form was, he wasn't going to call them up. I think that's a much better bigger problem than uh, any of you know Clinton's criticisms of MLS or MLS players. That was, you know, the the one interview that will always stand out for me in the Klinsman era is the interview he gave with the Washington Post. Um, you, you remember the one I'm talking about, and he kind of aired out some 
I think he was trying to publicly challenge some players, but it came across as so tone deaf and so insane. Um, and and the one that always stood well, out. Well, yeah, when he was criticizing, he was criticizing players who weren't in poor form. You know. Yeah. He was saying that he was saying that uh, Emerson Hinman had had disappeared when a he was 19 years old, b he played well enough at Fulham to earn a transfer to a Premier League club. Exactly. Doesn't really sound like disappearing to me, uh, especially for a 19 year old. And then you had the other one you singled out was Bill Hamid, who has been consistently the best keeper in MLS for five years. Yes, and was and was working his way through recovering from a knee injury, and and saying he yeah he was he would you know, it, but the one that also stuck out for me in that one was he was talking about the fall off of Mixdiscarude, and how disappointing that been, and how and and it was like, dude, no one. No one thought Mix Discarude was that good except you. <laughs> no one was yeah, convinced the, the, about Discarude. You were the one who was foisting this on the American people for years and years and years. And then you have the audacity to call him out for not being up to the level for the for the national team. It's like, well, I don't know if anyone really thought he was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought Discarude was a very interesting prospect, somebody that uh, I thought that we should that we should give looks to. You know, in 2012, 2013, thought like this is an interesting young player that should get more chances. But once he got all of those chances, and it was clear that he that he wasn't that good, Klinsman continued to play him, uh, even while he was you know playing very poorly with NYCFC. He kept getting called up, kept getting called up. So the the idea that he that he dropped off is is very very weird. And that's something that I'll also remember about Klinsman is he he seemed to fall in love with the idea of players as opposed to what was actually in front of him. He he fell in love with the idea of Breck Shea. How could you not? You know, this pacey, big left back who wanted to fly forward and, and had a crazy hairstyle. And, and of course, and then it became clear, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> you know, um, Breck Shea is a fine player. Um, but this has happened with, with several other players that with the team that he, he sort of fell in love with the idea and then would kind of keep waiting for that idea to be validated in his head, even if it might not be panning out, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like how, how, many, times did he, how many times did he play Jermaine Jones in like this weird center back or libero role, mm-hmm. right? You know, like he, he was trying to force that. Um, how many, I'm trying to like, I can't off the top of my head. It's I'd have to like look through game logs and try to remember, but uh, it, it it just all fits in with the idea of like he had he had his guys, he had his ideas, and he was just really just hard headed. Yeah, and you'd see that too. I mean, with with the tactics. Well, there was the what was the what, what was the Alejandro Bedoya one where he he was played. And uh, he was playing on the left, and Klinsman said, "Oh, I see him is doing this." And Bedoya said, "I've never played that position in my life." Yeah, and that I mean, the the, the big one that kind of sums up Klinsman. Yeah, and and also building a formation, a three four. What he, what he's now calling he called a three five two. He called a three five three, a three four three. He's now calling a three four one two in the Mexico game, which he said he built around Christian Pulisic so he could play in that center attacking midfield role, a, a position Pulisic hasn't played since he was 15 years old. And is yes, that, I, I encourage everybody to seek out, there was, a, there was a fantastic rant on Twitter by 
uh, Will Parchman yes, uh, from Top Drawer Soccer and the Seattle Sounders. Uh, Will had this had this amazing amazing rant about Clinton's comments about playing Pulisic in this role and building formation around him, and how you know basically this didn't make any sense that yeah. this is this is probably Pulisic's best best position in the future. This is what they'd like him to be, but he he doesn't play that way for Borussia Dortmund. He wasn't playing that way for the under twenties, and it you know it didn't it didn't make any sense to take this 18 year old in his in his first like really big national team game to build the formation around him and put him in a position that he has not played at senior level yeah and that and and will talked about how he's watched all his youth national team games and the last time he was playing that was with the u15 national team um so, Which, by the way, if you if you're not familiar with Will, he's not BSing. He's watched all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Last lasting impression. You know, what will you miss about the Klinsman era? Is there anything that you will that you will look back fondly upon? Um. Right now, my answer is nothing. But uh, you'll have to get back to me after a year and a half of Bruce Serena, who I'm sure we're going to talk about next. Hey. Uh, just right now, nothing is. Nothing is sticking out to me is a thing that I will remember fondly, but, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. So Absolutely. Uh, get back to me in a year, and I can probably tell you. Breaking news. We're recording this at Tuesday at 1.28 p.m. Bruce Arena was just confirmed as the new head coach of the United States soccer team. Do you need to go? <laughs> or can you talk for five minutes? <laughs> no, I can. It'll be okay. Okay. Um so there it is. It's done. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa is not going to be the head coach of the U.S. of the U.S. men's <laughs> national team. That was a fun uh, twenty minutes we had on Twitter there, where, or I guess what two hours on Twitter, where um, the, the internet yes, became convinced. Deportes stirred up some crap. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marcelo Bielsa's agent leaked them a photo of Bielsa scribbling on a on a whiteboard, and uh, apparently that was enough to get it done. Or what? I don't I don't know what happened, but. Um, Bruce Arena will be the the new head coach. That's confirmed. Um, I'm I've talked myself into it. I'm I'm surprisingly okay with it. For for someone to to in this situation, two games into the, to the hexagonal qualifying, I'm I'm okay with Bruce Arena. Are are you as have you made your peace? Are you cool with this? I am too. Hey everyone, I before we get back the to the right call, Ted wanted to tell you about now, Rocket Mortgage if, by Quicken Loans, uh, which proudly supports the For the Win podcast. July of Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. I'm going to be fast, powerful, upset. and completely yeah, regardless of the result. Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, the next months, time-consuming parts of very well mortgage out of the equation. That would be a very bad thing. searching through stacks of old files and paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button. Helping get approved in minutes for custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to somebody your unique financial players, situation. Somebody who's Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this rigid, on your phone like, or tablet. Here are your it's a quick roles. online process that you manage from the convenience of your couch. Thing that so if you're looking you to, to refinance your mortgage sense. or buy a home, um, that's, check out Rocket Mortgage today right at quickloans.com slash FTW. I think so, too. I think with Arena, FTW, he knows U.S. soccer, housing lender, he knows U.S. soccer federation, he knows his players, he knows, he's got a decent, you know, good relationship with the U.S., uh, uh, with the MLS guys. I think, you know, that those quotes he made about foreign-born players, mm, he's going to have to deal with that. I don't foresee that yeah, being we'll a major find problem. Out. 
I think he'll back off that pretty dang uh, quick. He'll, <laughs> yeah, he'll be asked questions about it, and I'm sure his response will be, you know, he'll he'll find a way to qualify it and clarify and dance around, and ultimately the result will be we forgive him and he picks John Brooks and Fabian Johnson, and it's all fine. Exactly. I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's what's going to happen. Hey, everyone, we're going to get back to the call with Kevin in just a moment. But before we do, wanted to tell you about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, which proudly supports the For the Win podcast. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century, fast, powerful, and completely online. Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com FTW. Again, that's quickenloans.com FTW. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. You know, I, I've heard some people make some serious complaints about U.S. soccer's looking backwards. They're not looking forwards. This is a retread, and what are you doing? You always have to push the program forward. This never works, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's been a decade. I don't, think these, I don't think these people understand how big a source of funding making the World Cup is. Yeah. It's, like, it's what funds the whole system. Like if we, if the United States Women's National Team misses the World Cup, then the develop developmental academy has to has to find other money somewhere. Um, then the U.S. Men's National Team is in a big hole because they're paying Jurgen Klinsmann a gigantic buyout to do absolutely nothing. Um, right now, the most important thing is making the safest hire possible that gives you the best chance of qualifying for the World Cup, and we can worry about progress in 2018 that was what was so insane about the bielsa rumors today and if for our listeners who don't know marcel bielsa Mm. he is a a, i guess quote-unquote tactical genius he is i mean no i mean you have to say he is he's he's sort of uh, a talismanic figure for for some of the world's top coaches and the ways he's built programs up and the way they press and these sort of wild tactical formations he's also a freaking lunatic who demands totalitarian yeah, no, his nick- control. His nickname is El Loco. <laughs> um, he quit his last job after two days because Lazio wasn't giving him the total, you know, control. I mean, who knows why he quit? Someone might have looked at him weird in the hallway or someone might have said, well, actually, our assistant coach is going to be this guy, and he quit. I mean, he is, he is total control, total everything. And if you're going to make a hire of him, which I don't even think I'd advocate in 2018, even though there's sort of this weird cult-like obsession with him in the United States. Um, you know, even if you're doing that, you're basically saying, we're going to give it to this man, and he's going to tear it down and start over again, and we're just got to hope that it works out. And I don't think U.S. soccer is ready to do that, and they're especially not ready to do it 18 months out from uh, the World Cup in Russia. And they're especially not willing to do that after dealing with Jurgen Klinsmann, who said, I am the person to fix everything that's wrong with you. Give me total control. And then it failed miserably. Yes. They're not going to go down that road a second time. Exactly. I mean, it's such an, you know, anytime, you know, I wrote my article, eight possible replacements for Klinsman. And at the 
number one was arena and you know this was i wrote it last week when the the rumbling started and i basically said it's going to be arena it's going to be arena don't worry about it here's some here's some other names and at the end i threw in bielsa and said like listen this is a pipe dream it's not going to happen u.s soccer is not going to do this especially now and all of my responses on twitter were why not bielsa why can't we do it now he's the right choice (laughs) it's like what is going on well yeah he's so the the biggest reason that he's the that he's a cult figure is because uh, I think a lot of people see Chile as like analogous to the U.S. men's national yes. team, where okay, it's it's not the same size country and they have a bit more of a footballing history, but still you have a basic basically the similar situation where you have this domestic league where there's you know it's not one of the biggest ones in South America. Um, the the talent that they produce is fairly average with a few, you know, generational, incredible world-class players, but the depth isn't there. And he took this team really with less talent than they have now and made them into this like really entertaining, really cool team that decimated, like really destroyed some great teams. Mm -hmm. And people look at what he did in Chile and said, he can do that with the United States. Um, Maybe. Yeah. He also uh, has the sound off of, you know, he's got Guardiola signing off on him as this genius and blah, 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 blah. But, well, yeah, and, yeah, he has Jorge Sampaoli, who was uh, not his direct successor, but the coach after his direct successor at Chile as a, as a Bielsa disciple and, and loves him. Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham Hotspur, same thing. So you have all of these, you know, these world-class coaches who have achieved great things saying, like, this guy is a genius, this guy is my idol, I learned everything from him. So... That kind of adds to the the cult of Bielsa, which I totally understand because he is a genius. He's also maybe a crazy person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. American soccer media, get ready for five hour long press conferences conducted entirely in Spanish. If you, if, if we're if we're <laughs> really going to do this, you. yeah, where he's swearing at you the entire time. Um, so anyway, it, it is it is interesting that that name was thrown out. Uh, you know. The name I loved was Oscar Pereja. I agree he's not right right now. And I think that Pereja will be the hire in 2018 should things continue to go the way that they're going now with Dallas. I think that's right. Um, he's just, for those who, who haven't followed his career, he's the manager of FC Dallas, has done a really wonderful job developing young players and um has built a just a really cool program down there. They attack. Um, they're fun to watch. He is not afraid to play the youngsters, and he puts them in a great position to succeed. And I don't know. I think that if you're looking to build up the program from the ground up, that's the type of guy you're going to look at again in 2018 after the World Cup. Uh, and, he, and even before that, he was at Colorado Rapids, and – Colorado Rapids are to MLS kind of what the U.S. men's national team is to the world of soccer, which is like the great, <laughs> boring, underachiever. Yeah. And he took a, a he took a really nothing team at Colorado uh, with some like rookie draft picks, not even like you know homegrown stars, youth national team guys, just like four-year college players who you know people weren't that familiar with, and turned them into a really fun attacking team that made the playoffs comfortably with just a lot of guys nobody had ever heard of, uh, which got him the, the job at Dallas, where he was a, a player and assistant before he, he took that Rapids job. So he's a guy who's been around the system at a bunch of different levels and has proven that he can do it with young and uh, not necessarily that talented players, which makes him a good fit. He also 
was part of the Colombia team that played soccer in prison with Pablo Escobar. So he will fear nothing, which is a good, <laughs> which is a good, um, I'm, I'm adding that to his resume. I'm not sure he would add that to his resume, but I'm adding it to his resume. Anyway. Um, he probably doesn't like to talk about that. Yeah, seriously. I wouldn't want to talk about it. Um, but yeah, Bruce is going to be the head coach. I'm, I'm feeling good about it. And, and one of the other things I'll say is, you know, I think people, their lasting memory of Bruce is the 2006 World Cup. And not every American soccer fan watches a ton of MLS. And I can understand why they might say, well, geez, you know, the last time we saw this guy, they were getting bounced out of the World Cup and looking awful in the process. Um, he's built some really cool things in, in, in Los Angeles. He's dealt with a lot of differing levels of talent and managed to put together some really interesting teams, which I think is also something you have to do when you're the U.S. men's national team manager. So I'm, I feel pretty good about it, I guess. Also, like, what happens in the 2006 World Cup if uh, the referee in the, Ita- in the Italy game is remotely competent? Yeah. Uh, and what happens in the 2006 World Cup if Claudio Reyna's knee doesn't randomly give out in the middle of the field? No, you're, you're, you're yeah, totally I feel like, right. I feel like he had a lot go against him there. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. And these, it, it does speak to how sort of silly people are, are judged on these tournaments. But, you know, you could say that Klinsman got a few lucky, you know, people like to say, well, like, oh, if Wando had just made that, that shot in front of, in front of goal, Klinsman's a genius, and and we love him forever. It's like if Tim Howard didn't make fifteen saves or sixteen saves in that game, the U.S. would have lost eight nothing. Um, yeah, if Tim Howard didn't, ha- if Tim Howard didn't have literally the greatest performance in the history of the World <laughs> Cup by a goalkeeper, I know that's a that's a five nothing game, and you know the, the U.S. snuck through. They won one game, and that's a five nothing game on a on a good day. Yeah, you know Germany beat Brazil seven one, less dominant than that. Yep. Exactly. Anyway, that's a that's a five nil on a good day when the goalkeeper's great. <laughs> exactly, and and it, yeah. So, I, I it just speaks to how silly it is to judge on uh, on these tournaments. On the one hand, um, on the other hand, you know, you you have to look at the way that the team rallies. And and you've been speaking to this uh, a bit on Twitter today with the national team. Since Klinsman has been fired, we've heard uh, sort of one statement from your, uh, from Jermaine Jones about how, you know, he felt a little bad, but if the players play bad, the coach loses their job. And then Jeff Cameron, I think, just issued a kind of two-tweet statement about, you know, they, they w- he wishes Klinsman the best. This hasn't been an outpouring of outrage or disbelief from the players within the national team. This isn't... You know, everyone rushing no, like, to the defense of, of Klinsman saying what happened. It, I don't, if you saw the Costa Rica second half, it looked like a team that was was done with its with its manager. Usually, when uh, when a coach gets fired, even if the players weren't too fond of him and you know thought he did deserve to lose his job, as long as he wasn't a complete jerk, you'll see players you know talk to the media or tweet something like, uh, you know, sorry I had to end this way. Like, wish this guy good luck in the future. Yep. We, but we had nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. For, Zero comments. For, for about 20 hours. anybody who'd been on the team in the last year. Like, we had, we had Benny Philhaber laughing, and then we had 
uh, Joe Giao and Josh Gatt, who haven't been on the team in two years because of injury, saying like, hey, this guy was really nice to me when I was injured. Um, and then nothing from anybody else. Yeah. Donovan issued a sort of middling kind of nice comment, but uh, not exactly. I don't know. I don't know how to – I can't get in. Again, a guy who hasn't been in the – Exactly. Another guy who hasn't played for the team in two years. And who just sort of publicly made his peace with Jurgen, though I don't think he had to do that. (laughs) I'm still salty. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. Watching that – watching the defending in the second half against Costa Rica in that that 4-0 drubbing, I was just saying to myself, oh, these guys, they're done. They've quit. Or at least in this half, they they are not they are not fighting for their coach at this point. So, well, Clinton said himself in the post game presser, "We didn't have any fight after the second goal." Yeah, like <laughs> might as well might as well quit then. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that I think will also I'll remember about him was, you know, for for his big talk and and sort of big vision. He really was just as a ma- as a manager. He was just sort of a, a man motivator. You know, he was a guy who rah rah combined and did and sometimes could do that pretty well. And you know, I think that that Ghana game will will always be his masterpiece in the in the World Cup. And he really brought that team was ready to play, and they came out and they you could argue overachieved in a in a great win for them. Um, and when he was at his best, he did that. But if you're a man motivator and the guys aren't motivated, then I don't know what you're doing there. And really, this is the, the reason that the backlash towards the bad results was so severe is because he came in with these big promises. Like, I have been brought into this job to create a national soccer identity. We're going to find out, you know, a way that we should play and we're going to play that style regardless of the personnel that we have available, regardless of our opponent. We are going to create an American style of play that... The fans and the fans know when they see us out there, that's the American style of play. And then he did absolutely nothing to try to achieve that whatsoever. It's completely inconsistent with his with his tactics. You know, sometimes they they would try to keep the ball in an attempt to prevent the other team from playing their game. Sometimes they'd play everybody behind the ball and counterattack, and there was no rhyme or reason to it, right? Like it's not like when Alex Ferguson would do things like that. It was, you could see the logic behind it and see what he was trying to achieve. Um, and he was, he was brilliant and his players are brilliant and they could do that. It was more like I'm flailing and I'm trying everything because I don't know what I'm doing. And the other thing that always drove me insane was that when he would try these things and it was clear they weren't working and an American fans or American punditry would question that all of a sudden we were all idiots or we didn't understand. So, and he was saying that up until his firing was that these people don't understand the game or the team. And, you know, in his tenure, I'd argue that the American soccer journalists and, and fans are getting more sophisticated, smarter. And, and as it went on, they began to see Oh wow, this is this is all just a lot of nonsense. He's saying all these things and nothing's yeah, and you knew it was, changing. You know it you was BS because every time the team had a really good performance or Clemson appeared to do something that was really smart and a reporter asked him after the game, like, 
hey, so you switched to, you know, 4-3-3 today and put in this player and you guys played really well, you know, like you talk about why you why you made that change. He'd, he'd absolutely lap it up, right? Yep. But every single time he was told, Larry, he was asked like, hey, you did this today, didn't work, team didn't play well, what, what, what happened? You know, he was like, oh, you idiot, you don't understand the game. Yeah. Which is, you know, not his reaction when he was being praised for doing something tactically. It's just, you know, kind of goes to show you who he is and uh, how he feels about this stuff. And for, yeah, he's a fraud. Like, let's be real. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and it's, and I think that was for me, it was just the more I would listen to these, these post-game press conferences and these interviews and the more I would watch, it was like, man, there's all this talk. And yet I'm watching this team play in this really pivotal go-to games, you know, not the friendlies where he's trying stuff, but the really go-to games. And what is different than when Bob Bradley was in charge or Bruce, you know, we're playing Jermaine Jones and the, the Michael Bradley they, in the midfield. <laughs> you know, Pulisic came the in. The difference and, is that those guys had a plan. Yeah. The difference is that those guys had a reason for what, the, for why they were doing what they were doing. And the players were put into roles that made sense and were given instructions that made sense. Uh, whereas with Klinsman, they were just kind of thrown together. Last question for you. That's the difference. And then I'm going to let you go. I've seen this counter-argument bumbling about the internet today. And the, the counter-argument goes, Klinsman has had the, talent-wise, the weakest group of American players over the last 15 or 20 years. And that was ultimately his undoing. Is that fair at all? Uh, go look at the 2006 World Cup squad <laughs> and, like, come on. That's what I'm saying. No. I it, it, it's so go look at some of the me. go look at some of the players who if you if you go on to uh, I mean there's there's a lot of websites that have the the stats for Guzman's national team if you just like go to all players and sort by number of caps look at some of the players that got 30 40 50 even 50 caps under Arena and Bradley there's some junk players who were regulars under those guys I mean and 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 that's it for me you know. Um... There was an there was an eight year span there where where Edson Buttle was was considered a a solution up top or at least an option up top and you know very nice guy Edson um, Buttle and Robbie Finley both went to the World Cup yeah. both of them on the same <laughs> World Cup team uh, and to argue yeah that that these teams are are not as talented is is absolutely insane to me I just I I just I can't buy it I cannot for a minute by it. And I know that um, people get frustrated with some of the players and I, and for whatever reason, you know, Michael Bradley seems to be a guy that a lot of negativity is, is turned at. And I, I, I agree. He's, he's had poor runs of form under Klinsman, but at the same time, he is what he is. And, you know, he's going to do a job. And, 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 but this idea that this team is, is the least talented, um, I just I I can't see it for a second. I, I just I don't I don't buy it. But I don't know. Bob Brad Bob, Bob Bradley bought brought not he had those strikers that we talked about. He brought post knee injury can hardly walk Ogichi on Yewu to the World Cup. Yep. Uh, Jonathan Bornstein was a was a was a first choice starter. Like, come on. <laughs> what are we talking about? I know. And people will like turn to. I saw some analysis that was. 
looking at MLS stats and how the MLS players back then, it's like, guys, the MLS was a different league 20 years ago. It was a really, totally different league. It was a really, you know, you had dudes making $12,000 a year and sleeping in assisted coaches' spare bedrooms. Um, anyway. Anyway. Um, you know who Bob Bradley started in the, in the 2011 Gold Cup final against Mexico? Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu started that game. Freddie Adu played okay. And played well. <laughs> he played pretty well in that game. Um, anyway, uh, that's as good a way as any to end it. Love you, Freddie Adu. Love you, Kevin. Thanks for thanks for talking, man. Um, and I'm gonna miss the Klinsman era, if only for for the laughs and for the fun. And now uh, U.S. has to focus. I don't. On... I don't think I'm gonna miss anything. <laughs> You'll miss it. We'll look back one day when when Bielsa has has you know murdered one of his players, and there's a criminal investigation into why he made a guy run 37 miles in Salt Lake City after a match that the U.S. lost. And and we're dealing with the high court under under dictator for life Trump. We're gonna look back fondly on these days. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Sounds I, good. I got real dark there. Got real dark there. Anyway, um, guys, follow Kevin. You're on Twitter at Kevin McCauley. Is that right? Correct. And SB Nation Soccer is typically fantastic. So read everything they're doing. And dude, we will uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, absolutely.